everybody. Um, this is Gareth Tarr for Brooklyn's TV. Uh, today we are interviewing Crispian uh, Besley about his book Driven to Crime, which um, is uh, a series of stories about uh, people involved in motorsport who um, are, have ended up with some sort of criminal activity um, and uh, it's um, about 60 odd chapters, uh, but about 90 odd stories. So, um, Chris, I think the best way to start is for you to tell us something about your background and how did you come to write the book? Uh, well, hello, hello, Gareth. Hello, everybody who's watching or listening. Um, my, my background in motorsport, I was one of many uh, young Formula Fordsters in the late 70s when I was a teenager. Right. who uh, wanted to become the next James Hunt. My, my connection was with James Hunt and his family was that I was at Wellington, although much younger than James. Um, right. I became very friendly with his two young guest brothers, sure. uh, David and Tim. David and I started racing cars together. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was a year older than him, I, I started racing with David. Um, I left school a year before him. Uh, mm -hmm. and traded unashamedly uh, on the Hunt connection um, right. <laughs> and used that to... Um, it was a big name at the time, wasn't it? I mean, I, you know, I, I was in the sort of generation, you know, and uh, yes, he was a big hero of mine and uh, I think all teenage boys wanted to be James Hunt. Well, uh, uh, absolutely. And of course, he was world champion in 1976. Um, so when I, when I left school in the late 70s, as I say, I, I used, I traded unashamedly on the connection um, and, and it helped to a degree. It irritated my uh, late friend, uh, David, because I, I was a year ahead of him. Um, but I, but it, it did help. We got sponsorship from, I probably can't mention the name, but a, a betting house, um, right. which is quite unusual at the time to go karting. And, and it really went from there. But, but in answer to your question, Gareth, um, it was very clear to me when I was racing Formula Ford, which was almost the karting of today um, yeah. that's what everybody did um, and you had different uh, categories of people you had people who were uh, trust fund kids um, even in those days or who had very wealthy business owning fathers uh, mm -hmm. who, who could fund their um, habit you had uh, at the other end of the scale garagists so sons of garage owners perhaps yeah, who sure. worked 24-7 to just to buy a new pair of tyres or set of tyres. And he had people in the middle like me who um, had to go out and find sponsorship. And I, and I proved to be reasonably adept in doing that. Some would say I proved to be more adept at finding sponsorship uh, than my results on, on track delivered. Um, there was a bit of both in fairness. Yeah. But at the, in our, following on your question, there was another category of people very clearly, probably a little bit older uh -huh. than the team that I was. Um, who were very, very well funded. It became very clear that um, some of their funding came from rather nefarious means. Uh, and and it's, all, all, it's always interested me. We, we all know how from, you know, the beginning of motor racing, how expensive it is. And it's always fascinated me as to how people have paid for it. So that, that was the genesis, uh, I suppose, of um, the, the thought behind the book or thinking behind the book. Um, I stopped racing in 1980, having shared the track uh, with several future Grand Prix stars, including Nigel Mansell, 
Right. Uh, note that I say sh I shared the track rather than beat them. <laughs> Although I, I think I, I did beat Jonathan Palmer. Now, now the boss of um, yes, uh, you know, all the race Palmer. circuits, and yeah. I, I did race. I, I did beat him a couple of times. Um, but there were se several other drivers who obviously went on to uh, great things in Formula One. Sure. I, I I didn't. I uh, stopped racing and went into in my parents uh phraseology you know they, they told me it's really about time you went and got a proper job Obviously, so i went yes. to, i went into the city and ultimately uh you know i spent 30 years in investment banking and there are a fair few uh rogues in investment banking as well i might add i'm sure but the connection basically then was money and crime um i've always been interested in the commercial side particularly of formula one and mm -hmm. you may be aware, and some, some of these stories are covered in the book, yeah. uh, but you may be aware that in the 1990s particularly, there were several very dodgy, shady yeah, characters. I, 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 on, mean, I, think, I think yours and mine, we're roughly the same age. Um, I left school in 77, so yeah, I'm sure yeah. we're about the same age. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so obviously my knowledge of Formula One is the same as yours, and I know from reading the book there were characters that came up and I thought oh yeah I remember him or, but I didn't know their sort of background so I found that quite interesting good but I think you're also right there was a period where I mean which comes out a little bit in the book where there were several more entrants to Formula One than there were places on the grid and there was pre-qualifying before you even got into qualifying absolutely uh, and some of those were definitely threadbare uh, sort of organizations and it's no doubt, it's no surprise, I suppose, that uh, people like that, the, the, the owners are desperate for funds and they'll take anybody's money without really, uh, you know, due process is just not a concept they believe in, you know, and uh, understandably so. They, you know, somebody comes along with a bundle of cash, I want to sponsor your team. Oh, great. Thanks, mate. You know, and nobody really looks at what's behind all that. But obviously, the fullness of time that all spins out and uh, certainly as i say that period was definitely a period where there was i think this because there were more teams than than places um i'm sure that that was a, a feeding ground for that kind of situation whereas today because the entry is so restricted um there's a, a and and the, the teams are much more professionally run um that kind of situation I won't say doesn't arise, but is obviously um, there's a lot more scrutiny before you get into Formula One. And, and well, it, it, that's true, and I can't mention any names because the characters involved haven't yet been to prison. But you'd be very surprised there are um, several instances in recent years, very recent years, <laughs> of uh, shady stroke. Uh, Dreamers. I mean, a lot, a lot of this is about dreamers who, who simply lie. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few of those uh, in the book, you know. Yeah, uh, but there have been some that aren't in the book, even more recently than that. Um, sure. So if ever we do a second edition, uh, you <laughs> might find some um, additions to, to the to the roster. But, uh, and and th those stories will come to more public night. In, in, yeah, in absolutely, yeah. And I, 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 I've been very careful, Gareth, that, you, you know, everything I've written, um, and if, if you'd had... The connections I do, um, if you'd had the interest, which clearly you do do, and mm -hmm. a bit of the knowledge, um, you could have written this book. And I suspect sure. many people who will watch this could have written it if they put their minds to it. So everything I've written about is in the public domain. Obviously. Um, 
first of all. Um, and uh, as the credits say, there are a lot of people who didn't want to be credited, but there are many, many people who helped me, including yeah. many of the subjects of the book. Right. Um, so I, I spent a fascinating, I, I wrote, I, I finally put pen to paper on this when Boris Johnson closed us down uh, for COVID <laughs> in March 2020. Um, yeah. I'd, been, I'd been thinking about it and researching it for quite a long time before that, but that was when I started literally sure. typing one-fingeredly uh, <laughs> on my laptop. Um, and it, it was amazing, as I say, how much help I had from subjects of the book. Sure. Um, and of course, COVID saved me time because we weren't allowed out. So I had to do a lot of, lot of these meetings I think there on was, Zoom. There a lot of us did something in COVID. I, 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 um, I myself did a, a, a very long article for our magazine, The Brooklyn's Bulletin, on Sir Henry Seagrave. And I managed to get a biography of his literally the day that we shut down. And then I had great hours of entertainment sort of researching even just a you know a four or five thousand word article which I started when I wrote it it was about twelve thousand words and I had to slim it down so mm. you know I'm sure there are lots of people that was the impetus to um to do that we we interviewed before Christmas um uh, a guy who was written the book about SFH um and uh Again, he'd done some work on his book, but I think lockdown was the impetus for that. So maybe it was one of the positives about the... Absolutely. Well, it, was, it, it was a useful time, as I say, from my perspective, and just, you know, it's the first time I've written a book. Um, some some might, if I was wise, I'd probably say it's, it'll be the first and last time that I've <laughs> asked to do another book, um, also to do a motorsport, which I, I won't tell you about now. It, it did save me time because rather than traveling all over the country and, and maybe over Europe and into the States, I couldn't do that even if I wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. So an awful lot of it was on tel telephone interviews and Zoom interviews. So it, it was, as I say, a good use of time. Yeah. So just picking up still on uh, your background, do you think that um, obviously you, you had a background in the city, which obviously you understand the corporate world. Do you think that helped you in writing the book? Uh, yes, I do. I, some of the we, we've had some great reviews on the book. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I, but I think one of the common denominators that has been picked out from some of these reviews is the fact that there's there's a lot of money involved. Obviously, we, we yeah. know motor racing is a very expensive sport. There's a lot of Ponzi schemes uh, yeah. reported in the book. There are a lot of fraudsters, and um, I've been very flattered by the comments that because I have a background in investment banking and finance that I've been able to explain it in layman's terms. Yeah. No, that I, may be just, maybe may just the way I see it, but um, so I, 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 you know, clearly it's a book on the one hand for motor racing and aficionados on, on both this side of the world and in the U S particularly, because there's quite a lot of U S content, um, but it's also appealed. I'm told looking at the book sales to people who just like crime that, you know, um, motor racing may not be their first sport, but they're yeah. interested in crime. Um, and uh, going back to your point, th there is a lot of uh, finance-related uh, crime, criminality, be it money laundering or anything else. And, and the answer to your question is yes, I'm sure my background helps. And, it, and that, those are the two parallel strands, you know, my, my love and Obviously. passion for motor racing and, and, of course, finance, which yeah. is my professional career.
but obviously my background as an accountant, I, I can read the the business side and understand exactly yeah but i think you got the balance if i would say you got the balance right i think the details enough without getting too detailed that the layman wouldn't understand yeah or, or would get just bored with the subject but uh, uh i mean the stories themselves are, are, are perhaps more interesting than how, how they got that kind of sure yeah i mean you mentioned there um uh, you know you uh the fascination with crime and, the, and how the book appeals to uh, it has a wider appeal and and i just writing the review for the of the book for um the uh, brooklyn's bulletin I, I picked up on that myself as well um you know we do have a fascination with crime you only need to pick up the tv schedules the the bestsellers lists and how many of those are about crime or of sort of one sort or another what do you think that tells us about uh, ourselves maybe and uh, you know why do you think people are so interested and fascinated by it? i mean nobody wants to be a victim of crime but uh, everyone's no interested. well well i i think if, if you're as i say if you're interested in motorsport and you know i still participate i i, I stopped racing uh, in 1980, but I restarted uh, 30 years ago, actually, this year. So I've raced every year for the last mm -hmm. 30 years, firstly in sports cars um, and latterly and primarily in historics. So sure. I'm very active in that. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be able to afford to do that. But mm -hmm. I'm still, I have this obsession, going back to my first point, as to how people pay for it. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, you look at, uh, when Lando Norris, for example, was in, mm -hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting he's in any way connected with criminality or his, or his lovely father. But, you know, he, he, he when my boys were karting, um, you know, the, what, what they were doing was almost to a Formula One level standard, you know, huge, right. great motorhomes. And to your point about criminality, as I said, you know, a lot, a lot of people are um, straying over the edge of legitimacy when it comes to funding their motor racing, whether well, it's at the sure. karting level, Formula Ford level, even historics. Um, there's one well-known historic racer who's just been hauled up by the authorities for something that obviously I can't mention his name. Mm -hmm. um, but it, 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 it's happened since time in memoriam. And I, th I think there's an element, in answer to your question, of, of there for the grace of God go I, you know. Um, yeah. you, you made the point earlier on uh, if you're a struggling team owner, not just at the Formula One level, but a sure. dreamer or a crook comes along, uh, perhaps you're due diligent, you know, and, you, and you're strapped for cash. It's very easy uh, to say, yeah, you know, we'll have that, not, not ask too many questions. Um, and that, of course, is rather like being um, receiving stolen goods, because yeah. in some ways, in, in some cases, and again, this is articulated in some of the chapters in the book, um, motor racing, particularly at the higher international level, presents a great opportunity for laundering money. Yes, of course. Um, you know, uh, but it, it's also got to be pointed out that there are an awful lot of sports. You know, sport, sadly, you know, if you're a purist like you and me, it's about sport, but yeah. sport is has become a business. Yeah. And there's a lot of crime in business. Um, and by definition, therefore, there's a lot of crime in other sports as well. And I make that point, I think, in the introduction yeah. to the book, you know, whether it's boxing, uh, inevitably horse racing. Well, we uh, only we, have to look at um, the, the multitude of money that's floating around in football at the top level. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it, and, it, and it is 
and the big teams now are, I mean, they always were as registered as corporate entities, but now it's no longer the local, like, like uh, the guy Jack Walker, wasn't he, to, at Blackburn? You know, he, he, he was a, a steel magnet, made his money and put his money into his local football club. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. But as I say, it's, it's true of all sports. I mean, you know, if someone's watching this, who knows more about me than horse racing, which, you know, I could probably write on the back of a postage stamp what I know yeah. about horse racing. But, you know, there's probably a very good book to be written there and, and did yeah. so with professional boxing and what have you. So it's, it's not, I don't think that criminality is exclusive to any particular sport and certainly not motor racing, but motor racing does throw up, as we all know, some, and, and always has done from the days of Brooklands onwards, you know, it throws up some very interesting, very driven, excuse the pun, but very driven, ambitious, egotistical characters. Yeah. Um, and as we all know, um, motor racing like many sports but more than most perhaps is a drug yeah uh, and it, you know it's an addiction and addictions have to be paid for and not think passions, in, passions in general you know uh be it sport be it whatever music or whatever um people lose all sense of rational decision making uh, quite right yeah absolutely obviously the the period you've sort of covered and i think we covered Seth mentioned it earlier is, is pretty much the last 40 years. I know there's some earlier stories. Did you set yourself certain parameters in writing the book uh, in that sense? Um, I, well, I did, but not, not in terms of um, the, the period in question, no. Um, I mean, you know, there's, for example, Louis Fontes, who was a Le Mans winner. Yes, um, I saw that one. I remember so that, that, one. Goes, that goes outside. So no, it absolutely it was no timestamp on it, Gareth, at all. Right. The parameters, and I, I and I need to qualify this, but the parameters initially were that someone had to have been convicted, not necessarily been to prison, because right. as we know, you can you can be convicted without going to prison. Obviously, um, but there had to be convictions. Um, so as I say, there are several people who should be in the book, um, <laughs> but but aren't. But either because right. they've died without being convicted, or they just haven't been convicted yet. Um, but the, the, the one qualification I should make, and, and, you know, I've had this comment from a couple of people. They were surprised when they opened the book um, and read uh, opened the contents page and saw, for example, uh, the late uh, Max Mosley. Now, Max, Max yeah. was not a criminal, to be very no. clear, but he, uh, you know, was the uh, head of the sport, obviously, at the, as in the FIA. And he had a, the criminal connection he had, if you like. Uh, mm -hmm. was his parents, who, yeah. uh, for those who don't know, his father was uh, leader of the Black Shirt Brigade mm -hmm. and was uh, interred during the war. So both his parents, and, and Max had a, a fascinating, but rather sad childhood for that reason. Oh, yeah, both, of it, both of his parents were interred, actually up at um, a Holloway prison for mm -hmm. three years of the war. So that, that was his criminal connection. Um, and then, of course, he... Uh, was effectively responsible, or directly responsible for closing down the tabloid newspaper, the News of the World, uh, because of his, um, because of the way they reported his private life. Um, yeah. So that that's that's why he's in the book. So the, the, the book evolved and answer your question away from people who were directly um, driven to crime, uh, you know, to, to fund their habit. But there are people who were in it who were. Uh, maybe victims of crime 
And a, mm -hmm. and a good example of that would be um, the last lady who ever tried to qualify for a Grand Prix. Right. <clears throat> and I'm not, not talking about Susie Wolf or... No, Giovanna Amanti, what she called? Amati, Amati, yeah. yeah. And she, and she, I remember you know, she, her, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and she was, you know, she, she joined the Brabham team who were, um, this is at the end, this is after Bernie Eccleston had sold it. So the right. Brabham team was really on its way out. Um, she, so they, by, de by definition, didn't have the best car. She was a very good driver, in fairness. And she still is a very good driver, actually. Mm -hmm. Still competing age 60-something, I think. Um, right. But, you know, so she joined at the worst time but she was the last lady to try qualifying for a grand prix mm -hmm. uh, and sadly failed failed to do so but so why is she in the book she wasn't a criminal she was a victim of crime so before she started in motor racing and she was a great friend uh of elio de angelis and the commonality they had well they were at school with each other right. and hence their friendships but they also both came from very wealthy families and the Amati story yeah. is that she was a victim of crime because she was kidnapped as mm -hmm. a teenager. And it, it's an interesting story because her father was uh, the biggest owner of uh, cinemas in Rome. Um, right. And at the time when she was kidnapped, the, the, there was a lot of political related kidnappings, which the yes. government was very, the, the Italian the, government was very keen. In the 70s in, it, in Italy, exactly. there was a lot of very... Absolutely, sort of issues. Very horrible stuff. A lot of it was mafia-led, and the government, quite understandably, the Italian government, quite understandably, did, did not want ransoms to be paid because that would encourage yeah. criminality. Um, but if you're the father uh, of you know a, a young teenage girl uh, and you're wealthy enough, you you want to pay the ransom. The courts or the judges decided that um, Signor Marti should not be allowed to pay and they they froze his assets right. but because he was a cinema owner and cinemas you know, these days as we know no one pays anything certainly <laughs> not going to the cinema in cash but sure. it's all on credit cards in those days it was all cash it was a cash business yeah. and it coincided rather conveniently with the um launching of the first star wars film which everyone knows right. went on to be a, a massive box office hit um and he was in the ideal position there for a load of cash um, yeah. He also pawned his wife. His wife, so Giovanna's mother, was quite a well-known, uh, retired by then, quite a well-known film actress. So right. she was fairly wealthy in her own right. They pawned her jewellery. Even the servants that they had working for them pawned some of their possessions, and they raised they raised the money. So they paid right. the ransom um, against the, uh, should we say, advice uh, of the Italian courts. Um, and Giovanna... Giovanni was then released. The police were very keen on catching um, the captors, uh, one of whom was a chap called Daniel Nieto, who was a Sicilian and very much on the wanted list. And it became clear that Giovanna, when, when, she, when she was released, was still in touch with this chap, or, or I should say this chap was in touch with her, uh, right. sending her roses and everything else. So it was the opposite of Stockholm Syndrome. The Stockholm right. Syndrome is when the captive uh, falls in love with or sympathises with the captor. Uh, and whilst I don't believe, and Giovanni said categorically that was not the case, what was the case was that Nieto was obsessed with her, a much, yeah. much younger girl. And the bottom line is that, you know, had she not uh, complied with the police 
uh, wishes, um, then she would have been, you, you know, uh, an accessory to criminality. But she did comply, and, and what they required was that she met up with this chap, uh, and, and they did, uh, and they had a coffee in an Italian palazzo, and the police then did a sting and swooped in uh, and captured this guy. Yeah, uh, the story then goes. So that that that, if you like, was a very good example of someone who was victim of crime rather than uh, being involved in directly in criminality, and that's why she appears in that. No, there are quite a few stories. Yeah, like I that. mean, there's there's the Fangio story in there as well, which is exactly you know not exactly, yeah. same, but that is again a, a, a kidnapping and uh, the, the 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 criminals inverted commas the, the terrorists or whatever who then became obviously the. Cuban leaders. Um, yeah. I mean, that was a publicity stunt. Oh, completely, yeah. I mean, it was a a, a, a great story, uh, maybe one of the better known stories, depending on, on what vintage you, one is and, and what sure. area the sport one's interested in. But um, absolutely, they, they, they uh, there was a Cuban Grand Prix which ran, I think, for three years successively. Uh, Fangio and Sterling Moss, obviously, big names at the time, were the great draws. Um, sure. And it was just a publicity stunt to uh, the, these bandits turned up at a reception the night before the race with gun, you know, wielding a lot of yeah. guns and everybody froze. They, they bundled uh, Fangio into a car. Uh, they took him off to a couple of safe houses. Uh, they looked after him extremely well. Uh, yeah. The story goes, uh, and, and there are various different versions of it, that he, that he actually was able to watch the race the next day with his, with his captors, you know, all of yeah. whom... But, but by, by which time he actually, I think by the time he was released, I think he showed quite a degree of, um, you know, sympathy with their cause. Sure. Um, but that, you know, he, was, he wasn't uh, harmed in any way. He was, no, he was never under threat, was he, really? No, not really, no. But, but no one knew that. But, you know, but it, but it was, it, was, it, was, it, was it, it, it served its purpose. It was a wonderful publicity stunt. So he was a victim of crime in that respect, of course, yeah. We've touched on some of the sort of, uh, if you like, more unusual stories in the book. Do you have any particular favourites? Um, well, I, I guess, you know, going back to the earlier uh, time frame, I, I, I think ori originally I entitled the um, chapter Ruth Ellis, because Ruth Ellis was not a racing driver, but yeah. Ruth Ellis, for those of us of the right vintage, and it was pretty much before my time, but was it was yeah. famous for being the last woman to be hanged in Britain, and, yeah. and that you know that was a massive, you know, a, a massive turning point in uh, the penal system in this country, uh, and and led ultimately to uh, the total abolition of hanging. But yeah. the, but for those people who don't know, um, that the connection with motor racing was that she uh, and she had a very unfortunate life and, and she wouldn't even have received in, the, in this day and age she wouldn't have received the life a life sentence let alone hang no. obviously so but, but, but the, the reason why she, uh, she appears in the book not as a chapter in it, but is she, she was uh hanged tried and hanged for murdering her lover who was a racing driver called david blakey who was a pretty unpleasant character by the way oh, yeah. um and had you know i i think one in today's terms, might call it a crime of passion, but you know he had physically abused her. She was pregnant with his baby. Uh, she had a, an incredibly uh, awful upbringing. She had been molested, mm -hmm. certainly by her father. Uh, she had gone into prostitution. She, but she was definitely trying to, 
you know, make make a better life for herself when she came across Blakey, who she fell in love with. He was right. a womanizer. Anyway, long story short, she shot him outside a pub, and that's why she went. To, mm-hmm. to, we got uh, tried and hanged. But yeah, I, I thought that was one of the more uh, one of the, I thought one of the more fascinating uh, chapters in the book. I think some of the stories you tell actually, for me, told me about stories which I knew a little about. And now I know a lot about it. Uh, yeah. So I think the Ruth Ellis one was a good example. I, I, I knew who Ruth Ellis was and I knew she was the last lady to be hanged. But uh, to read the background to that and, you know, one, I, I suppose I've always viewed her as somebody, you know, I, I'm not an advocate of hanging. So uh, no. to have been the last person to be hanged is, is something. But uh, when you read the story, you think, well, that was an injustice in itself, you know, it was, it was wrong. So maybe we can talk about the great train robbery. That's, um, yeah, well, that's one of the that, great that, stories in there, you know. I, as I said earlier, I think I, I race um, for the last, I know, 28 years probably, I've been racing historic cars. Right. As I got older, so the cars. Um, the, the, none of them are Brooklyn's races, but, I, but I'm very active in Formula Junior, which was right. the... Uh, breeding ground for Formula One drivers of, of yeah. the time, uh, started by kind of Johnny Lorani in uh, Italy. And, and we see races of those sort at uh, sort of the Goodwood uh, Revival. Abs- absolutely, yeah. So I'm, I'm a regular at Goodwood at the Revival and in the uh, members meeting. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Formula Junior is as healthy, I think some would argue probably even healthier now than it was in period. I mean, you, you know, of all the historic racing, Serious. You can race all over the world, and you could probably race somewhere uh, in Formula Junior every weekend of the year, quite literally. Um, but the connection with Roy James, yeah, I mean, it, he was a very promising young racing driver, um, and he raced to Brabham in Formula Junior. But as, as you allude, he was also um, one of the great train robbers. Um, he was he played a slightly bit part. I mean, and the, the interesting thing about it is that he was originally just a, a, a small-time cat burglar, but he was also a trained silversmith. So right. what he would do to go around stealing, breaking into people's houses and specifically stealing silver, which he then had the ability to go and uh, melt down and make into other things, some of which sure. he sold, some items which he sold to very prestigious department stores <laughs> like Harrods. Anyway, so instead, he of, a, instead of money laundering, he was metal laundering, effectively. A, a, absolutely right. But, but, but there, were lot, there were lots of points in the story that I, that I enjoy. Um, so he got involved with a much bigger uh, gang, um, part really because of his ability to drive fast. Um, sure. he, everyone everyone su- suggests he was the getaway driver. Um, and that's not entirely true. He drove much less glamorous than being a, a getaway driver. The, the, the vehicles that the, the gang used uh, to uh, take the uh, bullion off to a safe farmhouse, uh, were actually there was a couple of pair of Land Rovers, uh, you know, the, the original Defenders or Series One cars, and they had an ex-army um, truck as well. So he was originally hired really um, to be one of the drivers, and, and that didn't you know he wanted to use his souped-up Mark II Jaguar, um, but didn't. But I mean, nonetheless, he was effectively one of the getaway drivers. The story goes on, uh, and I won't bore you with the. The, the mechanics of the Great Train Robbery, because that's pretty well chronicled. It's in the book. But he he was one of, the, no, not one of us, he was the first of that gang to be sent to prison. 
and by definition, therefore, uh, the first to come out after 12 years. Um, the first thing he did was he went to his old mate, Bernie Eccleston. Uh, Bernie, <laughs> I, Bernie, I should add, um, has been, and I quoted in the book, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that Bernie was behind the Great Train robbery, no. but, um, and, and indeed Bernie has had that uh, suggestion leveled at him many, many times. And he's always said, <laughs> I, I think I put it in the book, no, no, I, I can't do, I can't do Bernie's accent, but no, no, mate. You know, it's far too small a job for me. Uh, <laughs> typical Bernie Eccleston sense yeah. of humour. But, but, but Roy did know him uh, yeah. from his early days in motor racing. He went, went to Bernie, who by that time was not the supremo that he became in Formula One. He was simply sure. the, the owner of the Brabham Formula One team. Right. And Roy James, his first port of call, or two, two of his first ports of call, one was Graham Hill, who by that time had been world champion not once, but twice, but but also retired uh, mm -hmm. and was running his own Formula One team. And his mate, Bernie Eccleston, who was also running a Formula One team. And he went to Bernie, he said, uh, sorry, mate, you know, you're, you're 40 odd years old now, you are too old. Um, Roy did yeah. get involved in motor racing at a very low level. He did actually have some races funded by some other people, not Bernie Eccleston. Um, and you know, he tried it and wasn't very successful. But in the meantime, Bernie said, well, I, I will give you a job or something. Um, and he ended up by making one of the trophies that was, was presented for many, many years, not to the world champion, uh, which right. is a fallacy that some people repeat, but to the uh, best or the organisers of the best arranged Grand Prix of the year. Yes, so for many years, for that, yeah. not, not a particularly attractive trophy, by the way, but for right. many years that, that trophy was presented uh, and, you know, the recipients were all completely unaware uh, as to the origins and um, who had actually made it. And, and Daryl Roy James um, narrowly avoided going to prison again uh, for being involved with one of his uh, colleagues from the train robbery in a VAT gold bullion fraud. He got away with that wow. amazingly. It was much bigger, but did go to prison, in fact, subsequently, because he had married a very young girl and had a young a family of a couple of children. Um, he, the girl he married, had what we would now define as alcohol abuse problems. And right. uh, Roy was having an argument or a heated discussion with her about custody of the children when her father turned up to try and uh, broker a deal and, and, and you know, um, make them both see sense. Um, and Roy James shot him. Okay. Didn't kill him, fortunately, uh, whether that was intent or, or not. Uh, but it's injured him for which he went to prison again. But right. the irony was that the, the unfortunate father-in-law was actually a bank manager, um, right. which was, so, so, you know, it's a join the circle up in that story. So that, 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 that's, that's a, one of my favorite stories. Okay. I, I mean, we've touched on a lot and I, I've made some notes about uh, certain stories to bring out. I think, uh, can you tell us about Charles Brockett? Uh, I can indeed, yeah. And I remember that story when it was live, you know, it was, uh, it was yeah. quite a story. Gareth, you you probably, you, you and me both, and you probably read the same sort of articles as I did. And, and the, the, the story, which, by the way, is a fallacy, but the, right. the well-reported story was that Charlie Brockett um, buried, broke up these cars, mm -hmm. cut them up, and buried them under one of the golf courses on the, the right. Brockett estate, um, and that a couple of cars ended up in the lake on the Brockett estate. Right. Which, which is much more romantic, but the, the reality is much less romantic. Right. They actually, and again, this is in the book, uh, they actually ended up 
uh, he dismantled um, a couple of cars uh, and the connection with motor racing, A, is because he did race a couple of times himself, A, mm -hmm. in historics, because he owned some very valuable historic cars, yeah. B, he raced as well, or competed in the uh, Commons versus Lords, uh, House of Commons versus House of Lords celebrity races that John mm -hmm. Webb used to uh, organise as, as a backup race for some of the big um, events at Brands Hatch. So he did. He has a racing connection in that respect. Um, but he and he had also hired as uh, the man to be his sort of lead mechanic, stroke buyer. Uh, an ex-Formula 3 racing driver called Jim Bosito, who was murdered, mm -hmm. who was actually ripping Brockett off. Right. So he, he would say, well, you know, Charles has a, um, you know, a car here for £200,000. We really need to buy it from the States. Yeah. Needs a bit of work, you know. Uh, but in fact, he was inflating the prices. So, and that, yeah. that was only and discovered. And then probably threatening a bit on the rest restoration as well, I should think. Uh, the whole thing. But, but, he, yeah. he, so he, but he was literally living at Charles's expense. He was being an employee of Charles's right. um, and, and, was, and was seriously fleecing his boss. And he was murdered um, by whom, I mean, he was clearly involved in criminality, yeah. but they didn't realize until they found his body uh, on the estate. But the, the, the story about Rocket, was, which most people don't realize, again, so first of all, is that the cars were not buried on the estate. Right. Uh, secondly, that really it was his wife who was uh, an ex-American model who was uh, massively uh, narcotic dependent to the point that um, she was so desperate, uh, she used to go to hotels in, in the local town. Um, well, first of all, she'd go to, to um, pharmacists um, and, try, and try and get prescriptions just for painkillers, anything she could. Um, she would also, she then resorted to going to hotels, checking in as a resident. And most hotel doctors, if you say you've got a headache, will say, okay, we'll, we'll prescribe you some pills. So she, that's the way she got her prescriptions and would take them to pharmacists. Um, she then started, uh, got even more desperate because the hotel, all the hotel doctors got to know her. Uh, she yeah. then started um, to forge prescriptions, at which point she got busted. And she was hauled up in front in the local police station in front of the um, chief superintendent who said, and he, she said, do you know who I am? And he said, yes, Lady Brockett, we do know who you are. Um, and you know, a very embarrassing situation. She said, well, it's not me you should be going after, it's Charles. So right. she, blew, she blew the whistle on Charles yeah. uh, doing what he did. But the, fi the final fantasy about that, uh, and again, this wouldn't happen in most countries, certainly most European countries, so Charles Brockett was naughty, uh, and, and he, of course, or well, not of course, but he, he uh, was very cooperative when I was writing the chapter on him. Um, right. But, uh, and, and he went down for putting in an, a fraudulent insurance claim. The reality is that the police didn't believe that the cars could have been stolen from the estate, because right. it was pretty secure anyway. The units yeah. they were kept in were very secure. So they, they had major doubts. The insurance company and most insurance companies will do all they can. Yeah, not they're not going to gonna, they're not gonna write a big check without checking very good. No, and, and, and they, the they were very, in, in conjunction with the police, Gareth, they were very, very wary about it. Um, right. They then said, uh, well, we're, we want to take you to court. And the Charles's lawyer said, right, we'll go to court. They then said, right, we want to, you to put up a surety 
of £750,000 um, <laughs> to uh, ensure that if you lose, our, fee, our legal bills are paid. Well, right. Charles couldn't raise £750,000. This is the time of the first yeah. Iran-Iraq war. A lot of yeah. his business, well, this is what led him into trouble. A lot of his business um, was based on American tourism. Right. American, the Americans stopped flying. So the sure. business was up, up against it. Um, and he certainly couldn't raise the £750,000. In the meantime, the banks who had overly lent him money and were irresponsible in doing so, by the way, and they saw the error of their way, said, look, we'll... We, we, we recognise where it's the pickle you're in. We'll lend you some more money on a very, very good deal, repayable over 10 years. Um, mm. And if you don't, you know, they put in circle hurdle rates, which are explained in the book. Um, but they were, they were very advantageous to Charles. So Charles suddenly, he, could, he couldn't use the bank's offer of a new loan to pay yeah. for court keys, uh, fees. So he turned around and said, fantastic, accepted the deal from the bank. He turned around to the insurance companies and, and got his lawyer to say, you know what, we'll drop it. We'll, we'll, we'll go away. So yeah. the reality was he didn't claim he was never paid one penny of insurance money. No. And if that had been the case in, let's say, France, he would not have gone to jail. Right. He put in a fraudulent claim, it's true, but he withdrew it. Right. And that's what, that's what most people don't realise. He received not one penny of yeah. insurance claim. But, but the crime is the crime is submitting the, the claim in the first place. I mean, obviously we're we're um, we're talking for Brooklyn's TV. Um, do you have any Brooklyn stories? There aren't really much in the book, and and I guess it. I mean, it's not the period you've really covered, is it? But I wondered if you. It, 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 any, it's... I mean, obviously we we talked earlier about um, the kind of individuals that are. Float, that uh, float about on the edges of motorsport and you know some of these characters uh you know obviously have very dubious backgrounds that must have happened back in the days of brooklyn's and brooklyn's was inverted commas gentleman racers i don't yeah. know if you've ever come across any uh, interesting brooklyn stories well i i i think what the, the I, I touched on him earlier on but actually uh, and this is one of the lesser known stories um, but Luis Fontes, so yes, a lot of people definitely. may have heard of him, but didn't realize that he went five Le Mans 24 hours virtually from he virtually came from nowhere, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He, he was a wealthy, despite his name, so he, he was of he was a, he was a Brit, but of yeah. Brazilian parentage. And right. his father, um, had multiple, uh, should we say, I'm not sure marriages so much as associations, so he had children right. by several different ladies. Um, uh, quite, quite, quite a few of them uh, in this country, and, and he, um, I believe, was the like like a lot of British racing drivers of that time. There was one proving ground where you, you yeah, you know, everybody started at Brooklyn's or pretty much. You yeah, and and I'm I'm pretty sure I don't want to be quoted on this, but I'm pretty sure he was a Brooklyn's racer. But I think he there, was, there'll yeah. be there'll be a lot of people who'll be uh, aware of. Uh, I'm, I'm much more knowledgeable about this era of motorsport than I was. It, it definitely yeah. was before my time, and, and, and if, in fairness, before my level of interest. But mo most people, if, they, if they've heard of him and know that he was the winner, uh, as you say, of the Le Mans uh, 24 hours in 1935, would not know that he went to prison. Um, yeah. And he went to prison for getting into, uh, effectively... Uh, a, a race on the roads with uh, somebody else, which led, you know, which was thoroughly responsible and led mm -hmm. to a young motorcyclist losing his life. 
yeah. for, for which you, but, 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 which was a tragedy. Um, and he was something of a, he was a very bookish looking, uh, no disrespect to you guys, but he could be, you, you, if, you, if you've you met him or brother, seen him, yeah. you know, yeah. well, no, I wouldn't say his brother, but you know, he could be an accountant. You know, he was a right, very yeah. serious demeanor, um, but in fact was a speed freak, went into power boat racing when he came out. So he was also uh, a very well-known, um, he competed in, in aircraft races as well, went into mm -hmm. power boat racing as well. And then when the war came, um, he got involved in flying for the ATA. Uh, yeah. So delivering aeroplanes around the country, and that's how he died. He, he died uh, crashing um, in a, an airfield in South Wales. Um, so you know, a tragic mm -hmm. end to you know a young life. Um, but he, but as I say, he went to prison for being thoroughly responsible. And in fact, and it's a chapter worth reading because he was a colourful character yeah, and, and had already had uh, brushes with the law prior to the um, the accident that killed the motorcyclist. But but I think I think. In answer to your question, I think, uh, racking my brain, but I think he's the only um, person in the book who would have been a Brooklyn's racer. But that's not to put any of your viewers off reading it, because I think if you're interested in motorsport yeah, of any era, so. you'll, yeah, you'll find yeah. some interesting yeah. things in this. Now, it's, a, it's sort of a, a little bit of a parallel with one of the stories that's in the book. Um, Fonz's background, and, and I think I'm right in saying he, he he did a little bit of racing at Brooklyn's. Yeah. Suddenly he's racing at Le Mans, and he actually won it. Sort of has parallels a little bit with Rob Walker's story and uh, the Rob Walker's Delahaye, which is covered in the book in another story um, concerning a character called Guy Jason Henry, and this is post-war, and we won't go into that story, but he was... Convicted, well, he wasn't convicted in the end, but he, he did try and smuggle 3,000 watches back yeah, into the country in the, right. um, in the fuel tank of the Delahaye. And that car is actually at Brooklyn's. Um, oh. it's, owned, it's owned by Rob Walker's son, who's Robbie Walker. And uh, yes, we're in, in fact, Mark and I did a video about that car about 18 months ago. But uh, And I believe the fuel tank that was used on that particular incident is in um, a museum in Cornwall, which is the Museum of Smugglers or something. So, oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, so, I, I didn't know but, that. But just to be, you know, say, Rob Walker, similarly, he bought that car, did a bit of racing at Brooklyn's, and, hey, it's Le Mans next month, let's go over and race in that. Yeah. And, and, and that's a story in itself, but we haven't got time for it here. Now, one of the uh, more interesting stories, I thought, was the story of Sid Miller, what can you tell us on that story? Well, it, 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 the, the, the title of the chapter, Gareth, is, as you rightly say, is on Sid Miller. But actually, there were really two characters involved, uh, Sid Miller and his friend and colleague, uh, John Bellord. Right. And they were genuinely do-gooders. But for anybody, again, of a certain age, so when I was uh, racing in Formula Ford, there were an awful lot of cars that appeared on the circuits with the name uh, ostensibly being sponsored by either national organs or right. southern organs. Yes, I and thought it was one of the more bizarre stories in a way, but it, 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 is, it is completely bizarre. And, and it's worthy of all the chapters in the book, in my view, or all the stories in the book, in my view, is worthy of a Netflix uh, or some <laughs> such uh, documentary or film. And in fact, there are people, nothing to do with me, but who, who are looking at that particular story. Right. But 
it's it's a very improbable story of two eccentric bachelors who became Anglican lay preachers. Uh, they were running a, uh, a ostensibly a retirement home down in Sussex, mm -hmm. and they got involved. They, they recognised the fact that an awful, because of their religious connections, an awful lot of churches had ropey old organs. Um, and at that time, in the 70s, there was a, a newfangled uh, musical instrument called an, an electronic organ. Right. And they started selling or trying to sell. Uh, they, they, they sounded the quality was very high. And they were trying to sell these things to churches um, at very big ticket items, uh, very, very big ticket prices. And um, not surprisingly, some of the churches couldn't afford them, but said, yeah, we'd really like one of these, but we can't afford it. So they fell upon effectively a pyramid scheme. They would get um, unsuspecting victims, for want of a better word, to sponsor uh, or part sponsor the uh, acquisition cost of an organ for their local church. Mm -hmm. So that the, the individuals felt they were doing something to help their local church yeah. um, and everyone was happy. They then uh, extended that to racing drivers. And as you alluded earlier in the show, uh, people will do anything, you know, uh, for if, if they think it'll help them, uh, in this case, at a club level, if they think it'll help uh, finance their motor racing costs. Um, the first, one of the first people they uh, went to was uh, a racing driver who some people will know, who's still very active, called Will Arif. Um, will actually did get real sponsorship from them. But most of the right. drivers, most of the many drivers who had sponsorship on the side of their cars did not. What they did get was a commission. So they would say, right. the, the, Miller and Bellow would say, look, you go and find us um, half a dozen people, literally like a pyramid scheme, who'll put mm -hmm. money into churches, church organs, and then yeah. we'll give you a commission effectively. And for that commission, you can put our name on the side of your cars. They, they, at the time, they were also, they were very high profile, but the companies, who no one had ever heard of two years before, became very high profile. And they started sponsoring yeah. various national championships. Um, but there were several well-known drivers, some of whom are mentioned in the book. Um, the late uh, Jeff Friswell, who was an incredibly talented driver mm -hmm. in Clubman's um, and was given the opportunity or, or, or the promise that, um, if he if he went on raising money, um, they would get him into Formula Two and then into Formula One. Of course, it never right. happened, and he ended up, uh, as did a lot of other drivers, losing a lot of money by his connections with mm -hmm. um, Miller and Bellord. But the, the 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 interesting part of the story was that actually what they were doing is that they were uh, organising um, a higher purchase deals on these organs, right. and they were selling um, one organ. On and but taking out several different hire purchase agreements and, and and robbing Peter to pay Paul. They were using some of the money yeah. they'd raised from innocent racing drivers and family yeah. and friends and whatever to pay pay that off. But it was born genuinely initially of them mm -hmm. wanting to do good. They the whole empire collapsed, they realized it had collapsed. They had a young uh, chap they'd taken on called Jeff Green, who has written his own book and who mm -hmm. was immensely cooperative. Uh, when I was writing this story, lovely, lovely chap, uh, yep. complete, completely innocent in terms of the fraud, but he um, did a lot of building work for these chaps, 
and ultimately they they, they recognize the fact that um the the the, the, the business had, was literally falling down like a pack of cards and they needed to disappear mm-hmm. so they uh, had a, a, a farewell party they said to uh, the residents of the care home uh, and all their the, all their supporters you know we, we haven't had a holiday for two years we're going to france so they, they right. made a big show a helicopter picked them up on the lawn of the house took them off to france uh they sent postcards back from france to all their friends um and then di- disappeared and they came back on the ferry. Uh, Jeff Green picked them up, took them up to a remote Scottish island. Um, they, he rode them out, or they had a small outboard motor, rode them out to this, just a ro- almost a rocky yeah. uh, outcrop uh, on which they lived for six months. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with no sanitation, bare, bare amounts of food it was quite extraordinary yeah um, and, it was a, a very bizarre story really <laughs> it, it really it really was i mean they, they basically what they did is they evaded the authorities it was a very clumsy uh, attempt at faking suicide uh, sure. and they said they escaped to live as fugitives in this bothy with with, with no roof and, and the, the barest of essentials um amazingly made it back um to coast and then lived in a b&b until their money ran out. They'd taken sure. a, a briefcase full of money, uh, at which point they phoned the hapless Mr. Green, um, right. who by then, of course, had been interviewed by the police. Um, and by then, you know, he had ruined his own reputation because he was left holding the baby, although course, it was nothing to yes. do with him. Um, and he then rightly shot them. Uh, the police turned up uh, at this uh, B&B in Scotland, arrested them, and they went to prison. Yeah. But but they, as I say, they lived for I think it was two hundred and sixty odd days um, as fugitives on this island. It was quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and there was a, a you know a major connection with motor racing. They even had their name. I think it was the nineteen seventy five British Grand Prix at Silverstone, which was a very wet race, and made an awful lot of drivers stopped early because of right. a, a yeah. downpour. Yeah. But Dave Morgan um, was sponsored by Southern Organs or right. National Organs in in his thirties. TS15, I think it was. I mean, um, the, 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 the putting national organs on the side of your car, it almost feels like uh, something that Clarkson had put on a Top Gear uh, stuff, you know, where they no, put uh, silly uh, names uh, on the side of cars, you know. Which are, uh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. It sounds like a Clarkson joke. It, it does, but, but it, it was for real. Um, and it, it is the most extraordinary story. I mean, you know, it, it's not 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 the uh, sort of sponsor anyway you'd associate with most racing, <laughs> no, let alone Formula One. But there. Um, okay, and and uh, slightly different story. Tell us about Angela Harkness. Yeah, she she, she was again, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, not quite in the Ruth Ellis mould, but she right. had a a, a very uh, unstable life, uh, really from the word go. Um, she was born, uh, and Angela Harkness sounds like a perfectly Western, you know, American name, but in fact, she, she was uh, christened that or born Fatima uh, Karikani in Iran right. uh, into a very large family who uh, ended up fleeing into Western Germany when she was, I think, about mm-hmm. three years old, and right. that was during the uh, Iranian Revolution. Right. So she actually had a... Um, so that'd be late seventies. That, that would be yeah, seventy six, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know she she bettered herself for sure. She 
um, well, allegedly uh, gained a degree in psychology. Um, right. If she did, then that certainly stood her in good stead for what she subsequently did. She right. ended up by leaving um, age around about, uh, as a teenager, maybe 20 years old, she went to Texas right. with, uh, with four of her sisters in the mid nineties, mm -hmm. um, then moved to California and started working under, under, under the name of Angela, started working as a stripper right. in a, night, a nightclub uh, called the Candy Cat. Uh, she got involved with um, someone on uh, savory people, um, she ripped off one of her husbands, um, right. nothing to do with motor racing, but she actually created a NASCAR team, um, which was entirely funded and very cleverly funded by fraudulent bank loans. Right. She literally didn't pay for anything at all. Um, mm -hmm. She scammed the sport. She fled the country. She left behind uh, a dead husband. It shouldn't right. murder him. Um, and also a business partner uh, and a lover. Uh, who all languished in prison. Um, and in, in doing so, she bankrupted. She had a very small sponsor, a real sponsor, whom she bankrupted. Uh, and, she, and she left in her wake a trail of broken promises and, and bounce checks and unpaid employees. But it, it, it was you know, an extraordinary uh, story. Of, you know, so many people went out of their way to help her and yeah. her partners. Um, and they, they, you know... They, they, they capitalized from the goodwill, goodwill that had been created by these people. So um, it, it, literally at every turn, including people she bought equipment from uh, sure. to, to people who actually did put their name on the side of her cars, um, her driver, one of her drivers ends up by being the, you know, the, the hero of the piece by repaying right. some of the employees out of his own pocket. Right. Uh, who'd, been, who'd been, you know, made redundant or not been paid wages. Um, sure. but, she, but yeah, but she, she, she was a stripper. Uh, that's that's well, how her, she started. Obviously her charm extended a bit more than just stripping. <laughs> uh, absolutely. She was yeah, able uh, to get uh, this money out of people. <laughs> yeah, she, she, but, but she duped uh, lots of innocent people at every single level, whether it's the banks, <laughs> no. Her partners, her lovers, her husbands, uh, her sponsors, her employees—it it was extraordinary. You know, and very calculated. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah. But she started as a, her life as a stripper. Wow. Okay. I, you know, I, I found your book very interesting. I, I think our talk's been very interesting, and you, you, you've been very eloquent in. Um, in explaining some of the stories i'm sure i could ask you many many more questions and uh i think we'll we'll call that a wrap and i'd, I'd very much like to thank you for your time i've very much enjoyed talking to you and uh, as i said before the book's fascinating and uh, i wish you all the best with it and thanks for talking to us on bookers tv great great pleasure gareth thank you very much as well thank you goodbye okay.